<sighs> Hello everybody out there and uh, welcome to my podcast. I'm doing a special one tonight. Sitting here thinking all day. Um, and I wanted to share the story of a, a life of my grandfather. I have something I wanted to write down about it. And as I sit here with the stories, thinking about his life, uh, today's December 5th, 2019. That means he's been gone 28 years. He died and um, passed away, I should say, in 2000. No, no, wow. <laughs> See, you know, this whole millennial thing, I'm, I'm way older than this stuff, folks. I'm like 1991, <laughs> you know, is when he passed away. And I was, I was a young kid. I had grown up idolizing the man. Right now, having a beer for him. Bull Rock Hard Cider. I get this down in Virginia. And it's a good uh, hard cider. So I want to have one and think about him because when you think about my grandfather, and I'm going to name him by name, Bill Forney. He's the type of guy that he was built like a bull. He was a tough, tough guy. Big hands on him like a like a bear. And he'd hunt, he'd fish, he'd do everything like that. He never took more than he needed to. He wasn't a cruel person. He, he hunted, yes, but he hunted to survive. He didn't hunt for prizes or trophies or deer horns on the wall, none of that. Bill, who I'm named after, was the type of guy that he had a certain love of nature and going out and respecting it. I'll never forget one time we went out to pick uh, hickory nuts it was in the fall. Took me under this massive tree. It was the first old growth tree I'd ever seen because you know a hundred years ago they came through here and they cut all these trees out so there were a few that were left but most most trees I've seen in my lifetime were very small 80 year old tops maybe a hundred and you can see pictures of when they did did all the clear cutting and these whole mountainsides were just bare like with rock so but before that, there were old growth trees. And so he takes me out in the woods. And we go out, and we're, I'm sitting there under this tree with him. And he goes, hey, Bubba. He, he called me Bubba. <laughs> he said, hey, Bubba, he said, you think an Indian sat under this? And I said, I don't know, Pat. Uh, he uh, told me that, you know, we have Native American heritage. And he said, that's why when you go out in nature, you can feel these things. He never elaborated a whole lot on the family history. I don't think he personally knew a lot himself, but in Somerset, Pennsylvania, Somerset County, Bedford, you talk about uh, the 40s, you talk about, you know, 
his father Milton, his grandfather Joseph, his great-grandfather Joseph, uh, his great-great-grandfather John Forney, who was a minister, an elder in the church, his three-time great-grandfather who was um, Joseph Forney, one of the original people that came up and uh, was a... Uh, he had a feed mill. So, you know, you're looking back at so many years of the history of Somerset County. They were all farmers. They were all tough men. He was, in a lot of ways, in my book, no offense to my uncles, he was, he was the last, man, he was the last of those people that took farming so seriously. He had his own farm, and he would grow more than he needed. He'd give away... Uh, what he had left to people. So, you know, sitting with him under that tree and talking to him, getting a sense of going out and foraging for food is what the hickory nuts were. And we'd go and we'd uh, build, you know, take these hickory nuts or walnuts, sometimes uh, butternuts, and dry them, and they'd make they cook them. They'd make uh, nut rolls and cookies and things with them. It was reflecting to him back in his childhood to where it was a necessity during the Great Depression. And before that, in the late 1800s, when it was um, what you had to do to survive. Going out to the maple woods and uh, tapping the maple trees. All, all these things that maybe foreign to a lot of people in other states and other areas, but, but to him that was uh, a lot of Pennsylvania history right there. And I could put my Pennsylvania accent on how I talk a little bit, and right there is where we walk out to. That's that's how people talk around here. I I, I don't. <laughs> but he, he, he had uh, this gruff voice like a train whistle I would put it so sitting there with him and thinking about that that day came home and it was always an adventure with Pap it was always with Bill it was always an adventure go over and if he was home he'd spend time with you I was Really, the only grandkid that he had that was around a lot. So I grew up with a lot of the stories, a lot of the history, a lot of the emphasis put on me that was up to me to do all this research on his ancestry that even he didn't know. He had told me he never knew his grandfather. Well, I did all that research and learned a lot that at the time when he passed away and was alive I didn't know Pap, Pap always made it interesting and when you would go to my grandparents house to put this into perspective for you their house sat along the main road there and it was owned by back in the day a man who made saddles in the backyard you go across the little alley and he had a big area where he had a garden. It was almost like a farm. I mean, it was a huge garden. He'd grow hundreds of tomato plants, corn, 
beans, squash, peppers, potatoes, you name it. And that was that was Pap's garden. And below that was Sam Terilla, who has Terilla's steakhouse. That was his garden. But if you walk down below that, you go into the woods, and you're right in the mountain. You're right there in the woods, and it was an old train track that ran uh, a long time ago. Imagine when they did logging, and you could walk that that path. You could walk down it and see all these old trees, all these different things. You could fish. It was a really amazing, amazing time to grow up when that was. Before it got bought up and sold the land, it was an open access. You could just go through it. If you walked it for about a mile, you get out near the playground, and then the, there was an old racetrack, and then the haunted hotel. That was a playground for me. Growing up, being a non-hunter around these hunters, I'd tag along with him or my Uncle Dan or my Uncle Barry. And I tell them I'm taking my camera. <laughs> but I'm reflecting on this tonight. You know, it's been 28 years since my grandfather passed away. And, and to me, it only seems like, wow. It doesn't seem like more than 10 years. I look back at some of the pictures I have, and I'm, you know, the older you get, when you're, when you're about 17, 18 years old, 16 years old, you have a good emphasis on, okay, this happened, and I remember this and that, and, you know, you, you get a little older, <laughs> you start getting a little over 40, and uh, some of those years just kind of like become a fuzzy blur to you, but I'm thinking about, about back my grandfather and the times we spent. He was a coal miner, and he had a little little uh, you know, he had a little coal mine there on his property back in Costa, the old farmhouse. When his grandfather Joseph came back from the Civil War, he built this farmhouse. Joseph had been a child that his mother was Beakley was her last name, and um, or Beachley, depending how you say it. If you're French, you say Bouchelle. And the father was a 40. So you had this amazing history of royal royal line of where I've spoken about the Beakley line before. Um, Michael Beakley had came over with his mother many generations before, and his mother had been killed by pirates, and he escaped and married a Lene Lenape woman. The Beakley name came from the French king, you know. The original Beakley was, I believe, Sarah's second great-grandfather, who refused to convert to Catholicism and held his Bible up. And the king of France gave him the name Beakley and knighted him instead of putting him to death because he's you know he was called in front of the king he, he refused to bow and the king told him you can wear the colors of my coat of arms and the fleur-de-lis of gold of the sun king <clears throat> and that 
that's why I, I, you know, I can wear those if I want to. So you had this whole history going down, and they, they, holding to their Bible, they became ministers of the church. And the Fornies were the same way. So you get down to Bill Forney, who, you know, he's one of these people that in Acosta, the old farm is there, Sipesville. Sipesville and Acosta are pretty much they're close. He, uh, his father had sold the farm. So he did a lot, he knew how to farm, but he did a lot of it in different places. He'd find areas where people would say, hey, you, you want to use my land? Go right ahead. Now, this was one of the places was across the road. So he had a big garden. There's a long, long history in uh, Somerset County of the Fornies being farmers. And like I said, my grandfather was a type of farmer that he always made sure, be it apples, be it food out of his garden, he would sell some of it, but he'd give a lot, a lot away to people that needed it. He was a man of many diverse perspectives. You know, he'd hunt, but in wintertime when it was cold, he would put out a food for the deer. He'd save apples. He had a whole section of corn. It, it, he was having it, people pick it the one time. They were going to go in the one. He goes, no, that section there, that's for the deer. And the guy goes, what? You mean you're going to, he's no, I'm not, hunt it. I'm not going to hunt him. That section is for the deer in the winter. He stayed tough. And he says, I want them to have that. Because if I take, I also should respect what, uh, what I'm taking, respect the animal's life. And he said, it's, it's like a, he, he saw the, um, the, the balance to it, you know, <laughs> it's a, uh, reciprocity of it and I learned a lot from that guy so when I, I think 28 years I'm sitting here I was just thinking about how the last time I saw him I, I got in this this kick where he would always be out originally he had been um taking potatoes across state lines with a semi truck and he would he would go and on long trips but as he got older he drove coal truck and retired so I'd always I'd always have this thing where I'd go over and he'd be getting off work right when I'd be leaving so I'd, I wouldn't see him a whole lot and then he retired it was that last year he took an early retirement so I made a point, you know, because I knew I'd see Pap. I wanted to go over and take a movie all, well, every once in a while. So it was like, a, if it was a weekend, if I wasn't out in school, I, VHS had just really made it big. And I'd say, hey, Pap, we'll watch a movie. And I'd tape different ones. I'll never forget this. My sister was a baby. And she spent the night over there. She wasn't a baby. I consider her a baby. She's probably 
two or three. And she took the movie Bambi. <laughs> and my grandfather watched that movie. And <laughs> we went over and he was like he was like a little boy sitting there. And he says, Do you like the movie? And, and he's sitting there looking at this little this little girl that uh is his granddaughter that watched it with him and he's a hunter. So when he watched it with her, he saw the reaction of the kids, this little kid's feelings towards it, and Bambi's mother getting killed and everything. And he said, uh, he was kind of embarrassed, I think, a little bit that he was a hunter. And he said, you know, I always hunted for food. He didn't need to explain anything, because I had to. He said, but watching that, he says, it really makes you feel bad. And... Uh, I think he knew that he didn't take him where they needed to. He wasn't like the guy in the movie. But it gave him the perspective of exactly what he had always felt with the animals. And they had lives too and families. And he said, uh, he said to her, he said, Pappy's not going to kill any more deer this year. And I looked at him. And it was like a recognition that he knew why I'd always felt. This big, tough man. He was tender. He was a very tender-hearted person. <laughs> so that was one of the times. We'd take movies over and... He'd, he'd be either watching television, working out in his garden, or uh, sitting in a in a... The one room there with his old radio listening to Hank Williams and all these different singers. Red Sovine and truck driving songs, you know, the good music. The stuff I grew up on. Uh, my, my heroes are always his heroes. Because I learned what good music was. <laughs> so... To elaborate on this a little bit. The last time I saw him, I took the movie The Princess Bride over, which is a phenomenal movie. And he liked it. He said, wow, that's good. Because the week before that, we'd watch, like, I took over, like, Back to the Future or something. It's always something weird. And it was either hit or miss. He was a very opinionated person. He'd say, oh, what do people think this stuff up, you know? But uh, Princess Bride, he liked it. And that was... He said, that's actually a really good movie. And he, we can relate to it because it was, you know, the old, you know, Peter Falk playing uh, grandfather and uh, the grandson. So it was his birthday. We had a birthday party for him. And it, it was a good time. And it wasn't even a week later. We're sitting there, and this is this is actually a horrible story, you know. I mean, he uh, he went hunting. Now, unbeknownst to me and several other people, other people, he uh, had some health problems. He didn't tell anybody about. So his view of life was this: if I'm going to go hunting. 
if I'm going to die. I'm going to do it on my own terms. I'm going to do it in a way that uh, I can live in this beauty of nature. So he, he knew he had heart problems. He knew he had probably cancer. And he knew it wouldn't take much to have a heart attack. We were doing it in the snow, walking, trotting along. And he knew it could very easily happen. But, but he wanted to get out and be around that nature. Because to him, that was the most soulful thing. And he went to this place, the old Sugar Bottom Woods, which a bottom is sort of like when a mountainside that has a lot of minerals and it starts to give way. You get a real dark uh, organic ground with a lot of trees and plants and things growing. It's, it's a bottom. It's like a bottom of a, between a, a little hillside valley. And he had had a history of this place. I taught my uncles how to hunt there. He is one of his soulful places. And he went out and never came home. And he's, he's the one woman said, hey, call my grandmother and say, hey, you know, it's dark out and Bill's not out of the woods. His car's parked there. Uh, do you want us to, what do you want us to do? And uh, my uncles went out looking for him. Of course my Uncle Dan found him, because my Uncle Dan, <laughs> my uncles hear this, they're going to be mad. My Uncle Dan just passed away last year, but of all my uncles, they're all great hunters. Danny, Danny was a good shot. Danny was a guy that was always held to a real high standard. And I hate to say this, guys, but he's probably the greatest hunter I ever knew, my Uncle Dan. He knew how to track. He always said, you know, you go out in the woods, you always track to the right side of an animal because it's easiest side to track because an animal has more of a reference to follow one way or the other. It's the same way with a person. So followed on the white, right, right side of the tracks because most people are right-handed and it, they'll walk in that direction. So, so he did that and you know, he came upon him where he had been... My grandfather had stopped and sat by a tree for a while and it had to have been a good while because the snow had melted. And he sat and I don't know what he thought about. I don't know if he reflected on his life. I don't know if there's moments like that. I don't know if he was in pain. You know, I know if he felt the heart attack coming on. Who knows? I like to think that there was some reflection on life that he found some meaning in it. But he had a heart attack and they said he was probably dead before he hit the ground. That was my first true sense of loss. And I've lost a lot of people since then. But that, to me as an artist, to me as a person, 
to me, is somebody that has clients that deals with relating to them. I think that was a corner, cornerstone of my life that wasn't always for the best. It was my first real understanding of death. Maybe I'd been sheltered all my life. I was, what, 12 years old, something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I just... I heard that he didn't make it. And in that moment, I did much the same as I'm doing right now. I've reflected on those times when fishing together. I could sit here for two hours telling stories. Reflect on those times you're out in the woods, all those things. And what I learned is you lose somebody, but the concept of what they've meant to your life, very much like a book that's written with the words of someone that is no longer with us. Or a chat conversation. I can look back on things that Valerie has said to me. And I feel in that moment like she's right there. I felt that way with, with him. And carried it over every time I went into the woods. It, it, it had a different meaning to me than this magical place that I learned so much from learned so much about the trees and everything else from. It took on the meaning of the thought that you and the concept that you can only walk into the woods halfway because after that you're walking back out. This sense that he had become a part of that woods and his soul was always there guiding me. Because that was the place where he'd gone to die. Or had died. I'm sure he didn't plan it. When I think of that, when I go out into the woods myself anymore, go hiking or come across a deer, a bear, rattlesnake, mountain lion, you name it. Maybe I'm just out there meditating on it. I find that peace and wisdom of it. People say, how can you feel so much when you're out in the woods? Uh, is it because you're, you're have Native American blood? Is it that? It may very well be because he taught me that. He taught me to touch into that red road and of the Lenine Lenape. He taught me to see the spirit of everything around you, the trees, the animals. This is a man that could walk out in the woods and stick up in the turkey if he wanted to kill it with his bare hands.
that's that's a true hunter. It's not the legal way to do it, but that's true. That's a true hunter. I mean, so now when I go in the woods, I'm still not a hunter. But and I bring this up because of poetry, because of writing, because of that influence to not take things for granted. To see the beauty and the the soul in the things around you. To feel it. Feel the spirit of a place, the energy there. Bill Forney taught me that. And though he's been gone 28 years, I, I walk out in woods hiking to go just for a leisurely stroll. And I always feel like he's there. I, I really do. So I, I just can't even begin to reflect on the man's life in 30 minutes. But I <laughs> I love doing it. You know, I love thinking about him. And I want, want you all to take that lesson when you go out in the woods this December. There's going to be a lot of hunters out right now, so I don't recommend doing it now, but... If you get the opportunity and it's not too dangerous, making sure you're dressed and prepared right, especially in the winter. Um, he taught me a lot on how to survive. Whether it works or not, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I use the inner bark of the birch tree to start fires if I need to to keep warm. But if you're out, Take that same perspective for Bill Forney. Take it for him. I can still still see him sitting there. And I hope when I get to be that age, get to look back on my life. When it's my time that I have the same self-awareness, beauty and Reverence for everything. There's no good way to die. It's a final thing. Whether you believe in religion or not, whether you believe in heaven or hell or reincarnation, whatever. For this life, in this sense of who you are, it's the end. But the life of a person... So many people die in horrible ways or alone or in nursing homes or hospitals and aren't given that moment to reflect and sit by a tree. I think of all the people I've known that have passed away, he probably had the most noble way to, a noble place to go in that whole beautiful sugar bottom woods so I want to do this podcast on him like I said give a little bit of story and background brush through it a little bit but focus on his life focus on the, the Fornies and all these families in Somerset County and all these people now you walk by and it's a stone with a name on it I went up on uh, 
Sarah Beakley's would be my third great grandmother. Her two hundredth birthday, and lit a candle on her grave. And I, you know, there's nobody there. She's she's there. She's dead, but long dead. <laughs> but I thought it was the coolest thing to do, and I wanted to do it. And I almost thought, you know, if there's anything, I'm gonna get a sign. And it's gonna happen. And of course, nothing did. Rained. Um, hard time keeping the candle lit. But I did it and said a prayer. So th these cemeteries don't hold all of a person. These sad places. These places where people are alive and the memories they gave you. And these places like the woods. Those are the true places that I look to reconnect <laughs> where there's no Wi-Fi. So when you're done with my podcast here, I want you to do something for yourself this Christmas. I, I think of that Christmas 28 years ago and how, for me, it, it started with, with this type of night. And the next week was pure hell for me and Christmas was empty. And I lost my value for things. Things you buy. I want you to, all of you, go and spend this holiday season, this next few weeks, this Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you, you worship. Spend it with family. Do good things for yourself and for others. And I say that yourself first because the saying that you can't love somebody unless you love yourself is very important. It's reciprocal in and of itself. The value of giving is not in receiving so much, but gaining that sense that while you're alive here in this moment, you can do something good for someone. It doesn't have to be a holiday. The whole important thing of it is family and friends. That's, that's the heart of it. So that's what Bill Forney would say. Thinking of him. And I'm thinking of all of you and I want to wish you all uh, happy holidays. Get in the spirit. Connect. Stay safe. God bless you all.